Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. John Newton wrote what song? Amazing Grace. John Newton sent a letter one day to another preacher, pastor, and he was writing, I don't know, I'm not sure, I think that these two men had some pretty big disputes about what they believed. And he was writing to this other guy, and he was talking about how much he regretted what he called kind of their pointless disputes, their pointless arguments, and how much time they had wasted arguing. And he says, he wrote that he was grieved about how often that he lost his temper. He was grieved about how much time spent trying to fix everyone else's problems when he had neglected his own problems. Now, I know you've never been there, but pray for those of us that have tried to fix everyone else when we've got a mess in our own lives, right? And then he said this, our Lord, when he questioned Peter, did not ask Peter, after, after Peter denied Jesus, Jesus questioned Peter, and this is what John Newton said. He said he didn't ask him if he was wise, if he was educated or eloquent. He did not ask Peter if his theology was perfect. He only asked Peter this, lovest thou me? Now, it's not that theology is not important. I believe it is. It's not that being wise and educated and even eloquent aren't somewhat useful gifts to God that he can use. All those things are gifts from God. The point in the heart of the matter is that what God is seeking most from us is love. That's what he asked Peter. Do you love me? Now, I'm, I'm really afraid that myself and you here today, that we're really not going to think carefully enough about this question because it just seems very glib. I'm really concerned that we won't think carefully enough about this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway in prayer that God will help us to really think deeply about it. Do you love God? Before you answer yes, wait. Do you really, do I really love him the way we should love him. If Jesus were to ask you that question and me that question as he asked Peter and we knew that he knows the real truth, how would we respond? We're starting a series today. It's the theme of our year and the series is called On Mission. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to go through our church's mission statement. And the first aspect of our mission statement is on the far left there, those two words, love God. And so um, I'm going to preach through our mission statement and what it means to be on mission and talk about loving God today. And the question is, is when we think about mission the mission of God, the mission that God has for us, I don't think our minds often go to loving Him. I think we think about doing something for Him. 
and we're going to get to those things as well. But our mission statement starts with loving God. And there's a, there's a reason for that, an important reason for that. And the reason is found in Matthew 22. Look with me at Matthew 22 and look with me at verse 34. Matthew 22 and verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, the Pharisees and Sadducees were kind of rival parties. They were gathered together. Then one of them, one of the Pharisees, which was a lawyer, and when we think of lawyers, not necessarily the idea that we think of a lawyer today. Somebody who was an expert in the law of Moses, the law of God, as found in the Old Testament. So this man who was well-versed in God's law asked Jesus a question, tempting him and saying, Master, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what's the most important commandment that God ever gave us? Verse 37, And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, Jesus reveals that the ultimate mission of every person in this world is to love God with all their being. And let me make that more personal. Your ultimate mission in life is to love God with your entire being. That is your mission. That is why you live. That's why you're here. I mean, you may be an electrician. You may... Be an accountant. You may be a, a medical personnel. You may be an Indian chief. I don't know what you do. But what you do as a career is not why you live. Why you're here is to love God. You're not primarily a dad. You're not primarily a granddad. You're not primarily a mom. You're not primarily a grandma. You primarily are called to love God. That's why you're here. Now, I want to give you three truths that we learn from the Bible about our ultimate mission of loving God. I mean, three truths today of why it is that that's our ultimate mission and what the Bible says about this ultimate mission. Now, let me give you an explanation before I give you the first point. Um, We have four aspects to our mission statement, and I'm going to take two weeks to preach on each of them. So I'm preaching today a message about loving God, and next Sunday I'm going to preach a message about loving God. And how I'm going to do this is the first message is going to be what I call more foundational. And we're going to study what does the Bible say, and we're going to really dig into the Bible to say why is this our mission. But next week, and please don't miss next week, because next week is going to be a lot more practical of how can we love God. How do we actually do that? What does that look like? And so this week, more foundational, this is what the Bible says about what it means that God has called us to this mission of loving Him. And then next week, we're going to talk about a lot more functionally and practically 
how we can do that in our daily life. So today, kind of the foundational aspect of loving God. So what, does, what do we learn from Scripture about our ultimate mission of loving God? Number one, very simple. Number one, we were created for the purpose of loving God. We were created to love God. Have you ever wondered that question? Why, why am I even here? I mean, why did God make me? Well, wonder no more. Because Revelation 4.11 says that all things were created by God's own pleasure and for God's pleasure. Revelation 4.11. Thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God created you because it was his pleasure to create you. That's why he created you. All things, including human beings, were created for God's pleasure. God did not create people because he needed them, as I've said many times. God created people because he chose to set his love upon them. God didn't need to create us, but God chose to and to set his love upon us. And of all the things that God created, mankind is his most precious treasure. And the reason that mankind is God's most precious treasure is because mankind is the only thing God created in his own image. When he created you, he put a little bit of himself into you. That as image bearers of God, image bearers of God, human beings were not only to be loved by God, but were created to love God in return. That's one of the things that sets you apart from your dog or your cat or your garden or your vehicle or anything else you want to name is that you were created so that God could love you and so that you could reciprocate that love, return that love to God. We were created not only to be loved by God, we were created to love God in return. Eric Liddell was a Scottish athlete who competed in the 1924 Olympic Games that were hosted in Paris. He won the gold medal in the men's 400 meter. But in addition to being a, a great athlete, uh, he was also a very faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a movie. I've not seen the movie, but I know about this movie. There's a movie about his story uh, that, was that was made in 1981, and it's called Chariots of Fire. Anyone ever seen the movie? You have? Wonderful. I've heard great things about it, and I've seen some clips, and I've read things about it. And uh, here it's a great movie, Chariots of Fire. It's somewhat of a Christian-based film. It was facing the giants before facing the giants was facing the giants, right? Uh, or what's the other one? War Room, Prayer Room, aren't those some Christian movies today? Or God's Not Dead, right? Chariots of Fire was that before it was cool, okay? Um, so the movie's about Eric Liddell and his journey. Eric Liddell also became a missionary to China, um, and gave his life, actually died uh, at an early age um, because of the conditions there and um, gave his life as a missionary. But there's a scene in the movie, Chariots of Fire, where there's an actor portraying Eric Liddell and is explaining to, I'm assuming it's his girlfriend, maybe his wife, I'm not sure, 
uh, at the time. But he's talking to this woman, and um, he's trying to explain to her why he wanted to run in the Olympics in 1924, because evidently she didn't want him to run. And he's trying to explain to her why he does that. And this is what he says. Listen to this. I think I've got it on the screen, but listen carefully. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What do you mean by that? What he meant by that is he understood that his highest calling in life was not to win the Olympic gold, but that actually, as he was running, it could be a way of expressing love to God. He could, be, he could, he could do this as a way to bring pleasure and to love God. Now, this is a, a beautiful thing to think about. It really transforms life when you and I say, you know what, I can go to work tomorrow I can live this, I can do this, and I can do it as an expression of loving God, to bring Him pleasure. He understood that ultimately He was not made to be fast, ultimately He was made to love God and for God's pleasure. Now, if the greatest command is to love God, then it just follows logically that your ultimate purpose must be to love God. I mean, if God's greatest command for you is to love Him, then that must mean that your ultimate mission in life, and my ultimate mission in life, is to love Him. God made you because He loved you, and so that you could love Him, and so that you would love Him. And until you and I pursue loving God as our highest aim in life, we will be empty, and we will feel empty. So in other words, until we're pursuing pleasing God as our ultimate mission and highest aim in life, we will be empty and we will feel empty. Loving God is why you exist. Loving God is the one thing you can engage in today that will never end. I want to say that again. Loving God is the one thing that you can engage in today that will never end. Think about it. There will be a day when you have prayed your last prayer. There will be a day when you have exercised your last step of faith. There will be a day that you have hoped for the last time. But there will never be a day as a child of God that you will cease to love Him. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is really all about. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, and love, or charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity, or love. Why? Because he says, One day faith will be sight. One day hope... You know, you don't have to keep hoping for something when you finally realize it. So when you and I go to heaven, then our hopes are realized. We're in the presence of God. There's no more reason for faith. Our faith becomes sight. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love never ends. It's your ultimate mission. It's a mission that will never end of loving God. So not only were we created to love God, but secondly, we are called and commanded to love God. We're created for that purpose to love Him. 
But then God also commands us to love him. As we looked at in our opening text in Matthew 22, loving God supremely and wholeheartedly is the great commandment. It is the greatest commandment to love God. Now, this is what I want you to get about this point. And hear me, please. Loving God is not an option to be considered. (laughs) It is an obligation. It is an obligation to be carried out. It's not an option to be considered. It's an obligation to be carried out. You see, God not only desires that you love Him, God demands that you love Him. I mean, He commands it. Albert, would you get me a little more water? You know, I'm really dry this morning. Um, so it, it, it's not something that He just simply desires. He, he demands that we love Him. Dr. R.A. Torrey was a, um, a pastor in Chicago years ago, and he was sharing the gospel of Jesus. Thank you so much. He was sharing the gospel with a young guy. And the young man was very unconcerned about what Ari Tori was sharing with them. Ari Tori was trying to help him to see that he needed Christ for his sins. He needed to be forgiven. But the man, young guy, didn't really feel he was a sinner. I mean, he didn't really feel that he was really guilty and in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And so Ari Tori was a very wise man. And he's very kind as well. And so this is what he asked the man. He said, are you aware that you have committed the greatest sin that anyone could commit? The young man got really defensive. He says, you don't even know me. I have not. And Ari Tori said, well, what's the greatest sin to you? And he said, murder. Murder is the greatest sin. There's no greater sin than that. And I've never murdered anyone, and so I'm not a great sinner. I've never committed the greatest sin. All right, Tori said, you're wrong. Murder is not the greatest sin. And he took him to Matthew 22, and he read this passage to him, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And after a few minutes of them talking about that, the Holy Spirit turned the light of the gospel on for this man. And he said this, I have committed the greatest sin that a man can commit, but I never realized it until now. I mean, that that changes things, doesn't it? To think that the greatest sin that we could be committing is the sin of not loving God. If the greatest command is to love God, then it follows logically that the greatest sin is failing to love God. If that's the greatest command, then the greatest act of disobedience is to fail to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And furthermore, I would say this. God has the right to command and demand that we love Him. God has that right to command us to love Him. Let me give you two reasons. I could probably come up with more, but let me give you two. First of all, he created us. That alone gives him that right. I mean, he's the one that made us. He gave us life. He has that right as God and creator. But secondly, and maybe more compelling for you and I, is the fact that God has displayed incomprehensible 
inexhaustible love for us when he sent his only son to die for us. So in other words, God has the right to expect that we love him when he has already loved us in a far greater way. It's not as if God is asking us to do something that he has not already done for us. He has loved us far greater than we could ever love him. If we don't love God first and wholeheartedly, we will not only live an unfulfilled life, as I talked about earlier, we're not only going to be empty. So in other words, it's not a matter of, if you don't love God, it's not a matter of saying, well, you know what, if I don't love God, then I'm not really going to have a nice life. Um, that may be a part of it. But if you don't love God, not only will you have an empty life, but you are going to face God in judgment. It's not as if, you know, you're going to stand before God and say, you know, you didn't really love me, so, you know, I wish you would have. <laughs> you have committed, I have committed the greatest sin possible if we have not loved God. And we will face God in judgment for that. Someone might ask, and I think this would be a good question if you're thinking in your mind, how, how can I make myself love someone? You know, I understand what you're saying, and I even see what the Bible says, but you know, I don't really feel love for God. How can I make myself love God? Well, what I would say in answer to that is, is, is please don't be deceived and confused about what love is. Um, the worst place to find about love is Hollywood. You talk about people that don't have a clue what love is. And they're the ones that are trying to define it for us in all these movies. They don't have a clue about what love is. And I like what, uh, well, I'll say that in a minute. But love, first of all, don't be confused about love because love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Feelings and emotions often accompany love. But love itself is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. I like what Chuck Colson noted. He says, love is a decision it is a purposeful setting of our affections, and since it is a command, it must be in our power, and I added in parentheses, by his grace. So in other words, when God commands us to love him, it must be something that he has enabled us to do. Love is primarily a decision a purposeful setting of our affections upon God. And since he's commanded it, it must be in our power by his grace to perform it. So what I would say to you and I as application is that we should ask God to give us grace to choose to love him by purposefully setting our affections on him. So in other words, if you're waiting for a feeling to love God, then you're never really going to love Him. We have to set our affections to love Him. And love is a choice, primarily, not a feeling. That's why it's always interesting when husbands and wives may say about their spouse, I've fallen out of love. I don't feel like I love Him anymore. I don't feel like I love her anymore tells me they never really understood it to begin with. Because it's not primarily a feeling. It's primarily a decision, a choice to love. Finally, number three, we are compelled to love by God. So not only were we created to love God, 
Not only are we commanded to love God, but thirdly and finally, we're compelled to love God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 4, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is working in the heart of every believer to impart God's love to him and to produce God and to produce love for God. The Holy Spirit is working in every believer's heart to impart God's love to that person, so God loving that person and then the Holy Spirit producing love in that person for God. So it's going both ways, a two-way street. The Holy Spirit is imparting God's love. The Holy Spirit is producing love for God from the believer. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit, the first one listed, is love. Love. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. That's what He compels. The Holy Spirit works within to compel God's people to love Him. 1 John 4.19 says that we love Him because He first loved us. It's the love of God that compels us to love Him. And then 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says it's the love of Christ that constrains or compels us. It's Christ's love for us that compels us to love Him. As believers... Consider the amazing love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It is then that believers are compelled to love this God who has loved them so much. That's the compelling factor of his love. In cold, frigid region of wintry Alberta, Canada, which by the way, Canada is ridiculously cold in the winter, right? And in this region, there is an area where no snow forms and where lush green grass grows year-round. And how can that happen? Well, in 1939, there was an underground fire that broke out in in a certain mine. And directly beneath that area, that fire has never really been put out. It just continues, the heat continues to go on. And so the fire underneath the ground affects what happens above ground, not allowing snow to form there and where green grass grows. And it's an illustration that likewise the Holy Spirit has come to live within believers. And he is that fire that burns in us the love of God and that compels and produces the love of God within You see, God not only commanded you to love Him, but He also put His Spirit within you to work in you and to produce in you and to compel from you and I love for God. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my greatest gains I count but loss, the song says. And then the last verse, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That is that compelling factor. It's the love of God. And when I survey, when I think, when I meditate, when I see by faith the love of God, when He gave His Son on the cross, it compels me to love Him in return. 
A 16-year-old boy wrote these words, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let me read you the second verse that he wrote. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Can I confess to you something? I had to get on my knees this morning and tell the Lord, Lord, I believe that there was a time in my past when I loved you more than I love you right now. Or I was expressing and acting and choosing and deciding to love you more than I have been loving you lately. There's a time, Lord, that I was closer to you. There's a time that I was more passionate about you than I am right now. And I said, Lord, forgive me. And I said, Lord, I can't produce this myself. But work in me now and draw me back and compel me again with your spirit and with your own love to begin loving you as I should. Can you sing that song sincerely from the depths of your heart? If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Or do you, as sometimes we say, need to fall in love with Jesus all over again? I mean, just fall in love with Him again and be renewed and rekindled in that love for Jesus. I mean, does the sacrifice of Jesus that He made for your sins on the cross, does that do something of compelling you to love Him wholeheartedly? Do you sense the Holy Spirit working in your heart to produce Supreme love for God. Who do you love more than God? Do you love your family more than you love God? Do you love your spouse more than you love God? Do you love your child or children more than you love God? Do you love yourself more than you love God? Jesus actually told us a way that we can know if we love him. He said it many times. Let me just give you one instance. But John 14, 21, He that keepeth my commandments, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You know how that we can tell if we're loving God? It's not by what we feel. And it's not even by what we say. It's by how we live and what we do. We're going to get more practical about that next week. But you know the way we can tell if we love other people more than we love God is if we are putting them before we're putting God. Is the words of Christ more precious to me than what Christ has told me more important to me than what anyone else has told me? Jesus said, if, if any man love his father, mother, brother, sister more than he loves me, he's not worthy of me. And before you get too nervous, 
I don't want you to feel like there's a conflict between loving God and loving someone near to you. You can love your kids better if you love God before them. You'll be a better husband or a better wife if you love God first. You can make an idol out of someone else by putting them before the Lord. And it's as we love God first that we're really and truly able to love those around us the way that we should. There's a town called Ephesus. There's a book of the Bible named after this. It's the book of Ephesians. Ephesus is in present-day Turkey. And in the book of Revelation, there was a letter written to Christians living in Ephesus. And the letter was written by God. He was the author of the letter. He used John to write it down, but God was the author. And this is how God described the people of Ephesus. He described them as people who worked hard, who labored, people who endured and persevered hardships, and even people who didn't quit, even people that hated evil. It is a pretty impressive resume for any church. However, God said, I have one thing against you. And it was a big thing. He says, you have left or abandon your first love. That's interesting. He didn't say you've left love. He didn't say you've stopped loving me. He says you've left your first love. First love. In other words, that preeminent, supreme, wholehearted, nothing else before, you first love is what they left. And God called them back. He called them to repent and to make Him their first love. We were created to love God. We're commanded to love God. And we're compelled to love God by His Spirit and by the love that He has displayed for us. We love Him because He first loved us. It's that responding love that compels us. I think we would all have to admit today that we need to repent. And that would be our simple action step for today's message. You're saying, what's one thing that we need to take away from this message? It's this idea of repent, of coming back to this loving God supremely. We need to repent of not loving God first, And repent of not loving Him with all that we are. With our whole being. Mind, heart, and soul. And ultimately, to repent of the fact that we have not embraced as the ultimate mission of our lives. To love God. And that's my last question for you before we pray today. Is will you embrace as the ultimate mission of your life to love God? Will you embrace that? The ultimate mission of your life is not to make money. It's not even to be a good dad, a good mom, a good grandma, a good grandpa, to be a good citizen, to be a good person. Your ultimate mission is to love God. To love Him.
If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.